Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for being here this morning. It's an honor to be asked to, to share my story with you. Um, I don't know much about pilgrimages, and to be completely honest, I had a really difficult time figuring out what to say up here today. And if you know me, you know just how rare it is that I can't figure out what to say. <laughs> um, I did a lot of exploring of the idea of pilgrimage, and I could have showed, chosen to share the safer, surface-level ideas and kind of hide myself a little behind them, but I decided not to do that. Uh, because I know each time I have walked into this sanctuary, what has affected me most and helped me grow into a more loving person are the heartfelt, genuine stories that people share of grappling so deeply with something and coming out on the other side of it. Coming out on the other side doesn't necessarily mean people have any answers you know, that they didn't have before or some life-changing epiphanies, although sometimes it does mean that. But there is a power in sharing in genuine, authentic sharing, there is always a little risk, too. And I'm a little bit terrified of what I will share with you today, but I share it in the spirit of love. We say it every Sunday at this church, love is the spirit of this church. And, I, and that is something I have come to trust very deeply. But before I go any further, I have to tell you that part of the reason this is difficult for me is because in exploring the idea of pilgrimage, I discovered that what I want to share with you is about moving intentionally away from rage and anger more deeply into life and choosing love. But as a black woman, preaching a sermon on rage is actually a minefield in ways that it is not for others. I have fought stereotypes my entire life. I was intentionally trained by my parents to do so, and I am thankful for that training. I owe a lot of who I am to my ability to act white in a white-dominated world. I will ask you to consciously understand that I am not an angry black woman. I am a woman who happens to be black, and at times I experience the very human emotion of anger. I once centered my entire life around fighting stereotypes. That meant I could never be angry. But what happens to anger denied? I think it is quite different from a dream deferred. It doesn't just dry up like a raisin in the sun. And according to Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, when coupled with hopelessness, unresolved anger turns into thoughtless rage. So stay with me as I hopefully bring this together. In exploring the topic of pilgrimage, I discovered that nowadays one can take a secular pilgrimage, one can seek a blessing from the god of their choice or gods of their choice, one can go seeking wisdom or personal discovery, self-transformation or healing or forgiveness or guidance, whatever you want really. <laughs> there are so many types of pilgrimages. I found myself feeling a little like I do when I go shopping for shampoo and conditioner. I get to the store, I go to the aisle and I feel completely overwhelmed by too many choices. I stand frozen in front of a wall of colors, shapes, messages of what smells like happy cherry blossoms. And suddenly I've lost 15 minutes of my life. I still don't have anything to wash my hair with and now I'm reminding myself that I should blink because my eyes have dried out from staring at everything. And every, time I try to I, and every time I have to convince myself that I should never, never buy anything for normal hair because that just means white people hair and it won't work for me no matter how much I think my hair is normal <laughs> and not ethnic. 
So eventually, I just end up grabbing the bottle with the prettiest picture that appeals to me, and I leave in a huff. And I'm a little bit bristling from the experience of a brush up with some sort of hard edge. It was like this for me in exploring the topic of pilgrimage. Too many choices with a hard edge that I kept rubbing up against, but I couldn't quite name. So as I explored deeper, listening to the other sermons from past weeks exploring this topic, reading more, and I realized that the hard edge is an edge I feel very often in this world. In seeking clarity about this edge, I revisited a favorite book of mine, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. She is a scholar, an artist, storyteller, psychologist, and academic, and within her book, among many other stories, she retells the story of the crescent moon bear that we heard earlier. She explains that this story is really about healing oneself, not someone else, and embracing the idea that healing is in the process of questing and practice, not in a single idea. Healing is in questing and practice, not in a single idea. That sentence finally brought home to me that the pilgrimage I will be on probably for the rest of my life is a healing one. Estes says the story is about healing rage. She breaks it down like this. She says, by seeking a wise and calm healing force, which was going to the healer, accepting the challenge of going into psychic territory one has never approached before, it's climbing the mountain, putting one's old and obsessive thoughts and feelings to rest, that's meeting the Muin Butaki, restless spirits without relatives, then soliciting the great compassionate self, patiently feeding the bear and the bear returning her kindness, understanding the roaring side of the compassionate psyche, recognizing that the bear, the compassionate self, is not tame. Estes goes on to explain, the story demonstrates the importance of bringing this psychological knowledge down to earth in our real lives, coming down off the mountain and going back into the village, learning that healing is in the process of questing and practice, not in a single idea. That's the destruction of the hair. The heart of the story is apply all these things to one's rage and all will be well. Advice from the healer, that's the advice from the healer to go home and apply these principles. Estes cautions us that rage can be useful, enlightening, and carries insight, but it can also be toxic and destructive. She continues, rage corrodes our trust that anything good can occur. Something has happened to hope. And behind the loss of hope is usually anger. Behind anger, pain. Behind pain, usually torture of one sort or another, sometimes recent, but more often from long ago. Nonetheless, Estes tells us, there is a life beyond this thoughtless rage. As we see in the tale, it takes conscious practice to contain and heal such, but we can do it. It truly takes only climbing through one step at a time. As I absorbed more and more of this analysis and reflected on my own life, I realized, at least right now, this is, about, this is a healing pilgrimage for me, an intentional seeking of wisdom, questing, and then continued practice every day to bring it into my life. Anyone who knows me well knows the compassion and gentleness of my spirit and exactly how sharp the edge of my rage can be. I am learning that this is the roaring side of my compassionate self, and we all have it. Because in the end, the edginess I feel standing in the aisle at Target looking at shopping and conditioner options really isn't about too many choices, because while that is annoying, 
It has much more to do with the fury I feel at the insidiousness of racism and the soul-crushing force of the way our world values profits over human dignity. The abnormality of my hair is really just the tip of a giant iceberg that has been crushing me and every brown-skinned person that I love for a very long time. And it doesn't just come from white people. Internalized oppression has made its mark just as deeply. I grew up being told I must behave in a certain way, excuse me, around white people. Otherwise, they won't take me seriously. I was told I cannot get angry. I cannot raise my voice. I cannot be too expressive. I cannot swear. I have to smile. I always, always, always have to be early or on time. I have to be nice. I have to answer their questions. I have to excel academically and prove that I am smarter than the white kids because I always already have two strikes against me. I have to at least get my master's degree, otherwise the white people won't take me credibly. They won't think I'm credible. I was told do not get pregnant, do not become a single black mother, do everything I can to set myself apart from the ghetto black folks. And around black folks, the message was less explicit, it was but just as clear. Don't talk too white, don't be a sellout, make sure my hair is done, don't be a B-I-T-C-H, which is really just code for let the men treat you however they want and don't stand up for yourself because you're then just a black B-I-T-C-H. I was told in so many ways to help take care of everyone else in my family, even at the expense of my own health and well-being, and don't complain about it. And be thankful because after all, I had more than my parents did. I was told be a strong black woman. But here's the thing about all of those messages. It is, it is how I have survived and succeeded in this world so far. And those rules, those boxes, they are absolutely and profoundly suffocating. There is no room to be human when you are constantly, relentlessly fighting stereotypes, trying to embody a superhuman strength in both your interpersonal relationships and your public life. I was angry for a long time because I was so bombarded with messages about what it means to be a black woman, and none of them allow me to be weak, to be vulnerable, or to just cry when I am sad. I have more than once lost hope, and that anger that was meant to keep me safe and alert me to things that were amiss in my emotional life, indeed, they turned to rage. I still contend with this rage because it is a rage against all of the denials of my humanity. Inside for so long, I was knocking over plates, screaming, leave me alone, I will go live in the woods by myself, F all of you people. I think some of my friends have heard me say that actually. Um, <laughs> I had sacrificed myself. I ate all of my feelings away because I wasn't allowed to express them because I am a strong black woman and I had to fight stereotypes. But by the time I reached 423 pounds at the age of 18, I realized actually this rage is destroying me and I need people. I need friends and I need love and I need it every day because I am human. But at the time, all of that hurt, all of that anger, all of the very human emotions that others are allowed to have, I had to bury, I had to be the sage, the wisdom bringer, the caretaker. I have come a long way since then. I have lost over 150 pounds and, I have, and I'm still learning how to feel and express my emotions rather than eat them away. And I can tell you this, 
I am done putting up this facade that I am a strong black woman. I really, really, really want people to stop telling me how strong I am. I am sick of it. Because for me, as a black woman, it is actually dehumanizing. I am profoundly done with being strong. You can have your strength because I want my humanity and all of the emotions that come with it. We all get to have all of our emotions. They actually help us and are vital to us, not something to fear and be ashamed about, as some of us have learned. They actually keep us safe when we allow ourselves to feel them and express them in meaningful, intentional ways. Part of my rage is that I was so busy fighting stereotypes, I was never allowed to say those things that I don't want to be strong. I need love. I need a hug. Dr. Estes says, thoughtless rage comes out of years of psychological torture. Most of us have learned how to do that to ourselves by internalizing messages from the broader culture meant to manipulate us into doing all kinds of things, most of them for profit. And it is only through questing and practice that I have found and continue to find healing from thoughtless rage. To actually feel when I am hurt and know it's okay to cry, to be weak, to be vulnerable as a woman who is black, and that I don't actually ever have to bear the burden of being strong like that again. It means I get to be human. And the way back for all of us, I think, to more of our humanity is to end to building a more just and equitable world is not through competition and success and excessive individualism as our culture would have us believe, but rather through love, through being able to say, I am scared, I feel weak, I feel vulnerable, and I need your help. It is in coming together and seeing each other more clearly, each one of us brings a unique light into this world. There is no one else like us, and each one of us deserves to be seen, to be recognized, and to be honored and loved as the sacred humans that we are for no other reason than that we were born. Love is our birthright. It is about letting go of whatever messages we have been told that we have to be in order to be worthy of love. And for me, it is about shedding the persona of a strong black woman, because guess what? I get to be human, I get to be weak, I get to cry. Academic author and political commentator and fellow UU, Melissa Harris-Perry, who is also an African-American woman, captures my sentiment exactly in her book, Sister Citizen, Shame, Stereotypes, and Black Women in America for Colored Girls Who Considered Politics When Being Strong Isn't Enough. <laughs> In it, she explores the crazy-making world America is for black women. Harry, Harris Perry tells us, African-American women do not define themselves as Jezebels, Mammies, or Sapphires. Instead, they call themselves strong and proudly drape the mantle of self-denying independence across their shoulders. This itself is a triumph of emotional and political resistance because black women have consistently demanded a right to name themselves. But there are dangers to allowing this symbol to remain unchallenged at the center of African-American understandings of womanhood. When black women are expected to be super strong, they cannot be simply human. She continues with the nuances of the argument and says that for as useful as it has been, the strong black woman archetype has also been destructive. But for every Harriet Tubman, she says, 
There are, there are hundreds of thousands of black women who died as slaves. For every Sojourner Truth, there are hundreds of thousands who were never able to speak publicly about their experiences. For every black woman who remains an independent moral age in the face of crushing oppression, there are many more who are in fact crushed. I have managed not to be crushed so far, but there isn't a day I don't forget or feel the weight that there are many more who are in fact crushed. Putting together this sermon was so difficult because I wished I'd had words of wisdom to tell you or great insights about pilgrimage and what it means to me, but all I can tell you is that I have chosen to quest to be on a pilgrimage of healing, in healing particularly from rage. As a black woman, for me to get up here and talk about rage is incredibly, incredibly difficult because I am not, nor do I wish to be seen as an angry black woman. I don't want to reinforce that stereotype or the stereotype of a strong black woman. What I do want to reinforce is that I am a woman who experiences anger and I happen to be black and it's okay for me to express that anger. I want to start dismantling the archetype of the strong black woman because I am a person with strengths and weaknesses and imperfections. I happen to be black, I happen to be a woman. I can't handle what life throws at me without so many people in this very room without this church community, and without a damn good sense of humor. <laughs> Me coming up here today and talking to you about rage as a black woman is actually me reclaiming my humanity. I share with you a part of my journey in the hope that the more we recognize each other's struggle, the more we see each other as human, and the more human dignity we experience together, the more accessible love becomes to all of us. And each one of us needs love more than we're willing to admit. The healing pilgrimage I'm on is one of reclaiming hope, disarming rage, and embodying the full human scale of emotions. In the story of the crescent moon bear, the woman is undaunted at her task because she loves. It doesn't say because she loves him or because she loved her husband. She has determination just because she loves. And I, like she, am on a pilgrimage because I choose love because I look into this room and I see the faces of such amazing people around me, I just, my heart wants to explode. <laughs> Taking each step in love and hope and doing it together with each other is how we heal from whatever our wounds, whether it is rage or something else. So I want to leave you today in the same way that Harris Perry ends one of her chapters in Sister Citizen, with an excerpt from the novel Beloved by Toni Morrison. This ex excerpt is quoting a grandmother in the book named Baby Suggs. And she is serving as a preacher in the middle of the woods to an entire community of blacks who are scarred by the world in which they live. She says, in this here place, we flesh. Flesh that weeps, laughs flesh that dances on bare feet in grass. Love it, love it hard. Yonder, they do not love your flesh. They despise it. They don't love your eyes, they just as soon pick them out. No more do they love the skin on your back. Yonder, they flay it. And oh, my people, they do not love your hands. Those they only use, tie, bind, chop off, and leave empty. Love your hands, love them. Raise them up and kiss them. Touch others with them, pat them together, 
Stroke them on your face, because they don't love that either. You got to love it. You.